Hey, quality people, we are back with another great episode in this entire series of the best of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And as I mentioned last week with Nigel's episode, today I am reintroducing you all to a very good friend, colleague, Evita Payton. Um, it was so funny that not long after doing this episode here, um, at the time, Evita was still based in Washington, D.C., um, maybe within about a month or so, she ended up moving here to Atlanta at the time I was in the process of taking a lean consultant role with uh, Wellstar, um, which is a, a huge healthcare system here based in Atlanta. And Avita came on as a teammate, had nothing to do with our prior relationship, but to go from someone that I came across on LinkedIn with a very, very impressive profile. Um, this conversation here is, is what, you know, was the first part of that relationship building process with her to then go into a working relationship with her and getting to connect with her. We were stationed at two different campuses, but she was a lean consultant herself. Um, but the chance to collaborate with the different projects we were trying to help the organization with at that time um, to now she's moved on to an even different role and another amazing um, healthcare organization. So to connect through the medium of this podcast with someone. And now, once again, just to stay connected and see their path that they're blazing for themselves, for their organizations, and ultimately for the communities that need our talents and our skills um, on, on a continuous basis has been just a, a true honor, a blessing. And it's been so impressive to watch this young lady um, really bloom and grow as a healthcare quality improvement professional. So that's just the relationship that um, that I'm kind of coming at this with for Evita. It's just, you know, kind of watching, um, you know, all, I, I hate to say this, but it's the mindset, kind of watching, you know, a child, your child grow into that impressive young professional, young adult that you're raising them to be. Not that I'm raising her, but still, that's the mindset. I'm, I'm watching someone grow, like literally right in front of me. I, I hope that makes sense. But anyway, quality people, um, today's episode with Evita was so special because you're going to kind of see the genesis right there at the very beginning of this path that she's on. And then next week, you're going to hear a reconnection between Nigel, Evita, and myself, um, they're going to take an opportunity to interview me, uh, which is something I am literally scared of. Um, I have no idea how that interview is going to come out, but we're going to produce that as a fresh episode. Um, but it'll be a chance to really see where Nigel and Evita are both at in their career paths as well. So um, keep this episode in mind as we move into next week's episode and looking forward to um, being on the other side of the microphone for once and having two incredible healthcare leaders, two incredible people, um, you know, have a chance to interview me and, and kind of dissect the show a little bit. Um, they've already given me a heads up that they're going to ask, um, of course, about my career path, which uh, I will try to find different ways to share the stories and, and not be too repetitive. 
but um, they are going to talk about the evolution of the show itself and definitely what's going to come next with the show as I've um, gotten closer and closer to 200 episodes. So that's what the foreshadowing is once again. And to have um, Avita be the one who, who volunteered to take that journey with me, um, she reached out to me and was like, Jarvis, how come you are never a guest on your own show? Um, and so that's kind of, again, just the baseline, uh, you know, for the, the background, excuse me, not baseline, but the background of how, um, you know, all of what's coming is, is really pulled together. So through Avita's vision, through her passion, through her friendship, um, again, I, I could not help but to strategically call back up this episode. Um, and you'll hear me even talk about um, how, how when she first logged on to the Zoom call, um, just the first few minutes was an absolute trip. So Avita, thank you so much for um, the, this long-term connection that we've built over the past couple of years now, the chance to watch you blossom into an incredible leader and the path that you're currently blazing and the support um, and, and that you've given to me with the podcast um, and ultimately the support and the vision that you're giving to all of our listeners. Um, I appreciate you so much. And it is with honor once again, everybody, that I am reintroducing you to a good friend, a colleague, and one hell of a quality person, Avita Payton. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Evita Payton. Evita, are you ready to share with some quality people? I'm ready to go. All right. Well, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or mindset, but also tell us why it appeals to you and how you would apply it on a daily basis. During uh, my undergraduate studies as a music major, my piano professor, Professor uh, Emmett Vokes, he would say, practice does not make perfect, which is strange to hear, right? Because I, I think we often are told practice makes perfect. But he would say, perfect practice makes perfect. And that has always appealed to me because he was conveying the importance of uh, avoiding rework. You know, perfect practice requires that I not mindlessly jump into memorizing a performance piece, but rather uh, put some mental sweat up front to discover what the piece is about, uh, what it requires. So in healthcare, uh, that mindset really serves me well too. I don't mindlessly jump into a, uh, uh, a PI or QI project having decided already what tools I'll use. I put a lot of mental sweat up front uh, to frame the problem first and then apply what tools would be necessary after understanding a lot better. So uh, that, that's a mindset I, I fell in love with the moment he said it and, uh, and have really found a lot of good use for it in healthcare. Well, I love that because just as we were talking in our pre-show just now, um, our, our shared backgrounds and mindsets around how you get to a meeting on time since you beat me onto this call, 
Um, but now even that saying, perfect uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Again, with my football background, that's something our coaches used to drill into us all the time. So I personally love it. I can relate to it because I know that that shift in mindset from just doing the fundamentals to intentionally doing them well and now taking that into our healthcare improvement world. So uh, I, I love it. I can really appreciate that. Well, good. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said about muscle memory and, and brain memory. Yeah. When, yeah when you absolutely. Evita, I, I, you know, again, thank you for coming on. Um, you shared your bio with me a few days ago, and I'd already had the chance to at least look at your LinkedIn profile and kind of get a feel for you, your background. Um, I'm really excited to learn more and to have you share more with our quality people. So I would love if you could um, give us a, the highlights, overview about your current role, but again, your background, what led you into this career path and, and what got you started? Sure. Uh, so currently I'm a quality consultant at Inova Health System and it's my first job postgraduate school. So I'm one year into um, being a, a quality uh, consultant, uh, but I began my professional life in performing arts, uh, working at Walt Disney. And uh, Disney has a wonderful approach to employee growth and development and uh, I attended their Disney university courses and participated in its, in its many skip level meetings. Um, and I discovered my interest in the business side of entertainment. And, you know, really from there, it was for me just a series of small tests of change that I ultimately found healthcare quality. I, I tried my hand at sales, customer service, market research, uh, really different components of business until I knew I needed to gain leadership experience. And that's when I decided, you know, that's the military. I need to learn uh, leadership from those that have to um, lead with um, operational stress. And I, I earned the title of Marine. Now fast forward two years from that decision and I find myself deployed to the Philippines for an infantry exercise and uh, I was a logistics officer. So uh, my team's purpose was to ensure we loaded pieces of combat equipment off ships and reassemble them and send them on to the infantry unit via uh, convoy. So it was an effort that required providing healthcare services to more than 300 plus Marines and sailors. And we were operating in 100 plus degree temperatures. So um, I had to do quite a bit of uh, coordination with the the Navy healthcare personnel to understand our echelons of care. So if we had uh, a heat stroke, how can we get that service member to a, a hospital in country? And then if something more serious happens, how do we medevac them to um, base back in, in Okinawa? So I really found that type of work rewarding. Um, and my next duty station was in mainland Japan at a remote base where the nearest hospital was three hours away. So I had another opportunity to confirm my interest in healthcare administration at the time. Um, and so the Navy recruited me and I went to UAB to obtain my required master's degree program. Uh, but uh, then the unthinkable happened. And it, it's the thing that brought me to pivot to healthcare quality. So at the very end of my graduate studies, I was diagnosed with a disqualifying condition for continued military service. And my command discharged me as a result. 
I, uh, I sought a second opinion before I underwent the recommended procedure. And when that second physician conducted his physical exam and reviewed my previous lab results, he told me that the procedure was not necessary, that I had no serologic evidence of the disease, and that using that type of evidence was a practice standard for diagnosing this type of disease. He then, you know, proceeded to tell me, um, let's go through the entire lab report. I'm going to show you that, unfortunately, it was just that the lab report was read incorrectly by your first physician. So I, um, I did not have the condition. It was a medical error. And I didn't realize the impact of medical errors or how easily needless procedures can happen. I mean, I, I studied some of that in my graduate studies, but going through it is so much different. And I, I just didn't realize how a wrong diagnosis could so dramatically alter the course of my life. I, I didn't fully appreciate you know, how physician workflows that don't use decision support systems can miss catching lab errors. And I did realize all of these things, but just too late to save my military career. So I used that energy to shape my interest in pursuing a career in healthcare quality vice administration. And I found um, an opportunity at Inova Health System. And um, I've been here about a year now, learning how to uh, assist uh, healthcare quality efforts. Well, a couple of things that I you know, was thinking through as you shared everything in your story there. But um, first, let me thank you for your service and just dedication to the country. That's that's always impressive for someone like me who's never, you know, had that experience. I am impressed just with a medical error really, really sound like it has such an impact on drawing you into this career path. Um, it's an unfortunate thing, but I can't even imagine again just that personal experience, and now you're in a row where you're you're basically on a mission to <laughs> try to <laughs> reduce and eliminate those those situations. So, um, again, just uh, very impressed, and you know though that's why I love this show personally because those are the things that I can't pull out of your LinkedIn profile when I invite you on the show. Um, so I'm just incredibly impressed and awed by your story there. Um, your background at Disney. So I did see that in your bio, but I assumed you may have been already like in a business position with Disney. I didn't know you were in performing arts. So uh, again, I, I could see even where those skills could come into play with some of the work we do. Um, so uh, again, just your incredible background. Um, I'm excited. I'm glad you said yes to join the show and share that much with us. So I, I really appreciate that. Oh, well, you're, you're welcome. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, let me move you to the next question because, you know, this question I, I've started to call the dark place question, but Evita, I would love for you to take us on a journey to a point within your healthcare leadership roles that you've been in, but take us to a point that you may consider one of the worst moments in your career path to date and really, you know, take us through the experience or the scenario, um, but share with us a lot of the decisions that you may have gone through at that time to turn the situation around. Sure. I, uh, I would say it was my experience with misdiagnosis because I, I missed an opportunity to be more engaged uh, as a patient. I, I could have interceded at that critical decision-making moment had I uh, been more involved with reading the reports. I mean, the physician gave me the reports. The reports were um, uh, very um, reader-friendly. 
there was there was just a, a, a lack of interest. You know, I trusted wholeheartedly um, in his interpretation. And I think the takeaway is that it's, uh, it's all right as patients to delegate authority to our healthcare professionals, but it's, it's not okay for us to delegate responsibility. It's important, I think, as healthcare leaders in quality um, that we enable uh, patient partnership in, in participating in their, their care plan. Um, and I think all of that has you know, been a year after the event for me to come around to my part in it. Uh, I, I could have reviewed something that he made available to me. And I think um, the decision to not do so was just maybe just maybe just having a, um, a sense that it's someone else's job, but it, it truly needs to be a partnership between patients and, and the healthcare professionals that are taking care of the patients. So I, I think that ultimately was the moment that brought me into healthcare, but it was um, a pretty bad experience just because I, I missed a tremendous opportunity to, to partner. Well, and I'll share with you. So the, again, the, the timing of connecting with you and even doing this call, I think is interesting because I'm actually working with a healthcare group now. And specifically, we are working on uh, reducing specimen errors. Okay. And, and so, you know, again, just with your, your, your background and your experience of having gone through that, um, one of the solutions that we're working and trying to think through how to hardwire is um, adding the patient into the verification process. Mm -hmm. And and so, and again, you know, I, I don't know if the scenario for you was kind of on the physician analytical and, diagno you know, diagnostic side, or if it was on that upfront um, labeling and collection process. Our work <clears throat> will be more targeted toward the, towards the upfront labeling and collections, but you know, we really want to hardwire having nurses or whoever that clinical person is verify procedures with the patient. So to everything you just shared there, um, that, that at least puts me in the mindset that we may be heading in a pretty good direction. But I, I guess my question for you is, you know, with a lot of the, um, I'll just say a lot of the stressors that we have in healthcare. So, you know, with productivity and a lot of the clinical leaders being forced to kind of get patients in, see them really quickly, give them some initial feedback, get them out, get the next patient in, give them feedback, get them out. You know, that's, that's the turnstile that is realistic in our worlds. Um, are, are, is there anything as quality people, as healthcare leaders that we should do to also just in, incorporate more of that engagement process so it's not the turnstile healthcare, but it's quality taking a lot of just engaging time with the patients to ensure that they feel comfortable to engage and, you know, have the experiences maybe that you had reduce over time. I, I think it's probably giving them permission to, to not be as task oriented, but to start to include that patient centric um, mindset more and more often. It's, it's amazing. You can go on a, a unit and see that they're so focused, that nurses are so focused on efficiency. Um, you can see it on their faces. Their eyes are down. They're, they're moving with a purpose to, to get uh, everything that their you know, shift planning document says that they need to accomplish. And um, 
I think that sometimes makes it very hard for them to be um, faced with an interruption that requires more um, patient centeredness. Uh, I think there's a role then in leaders to figure out how do we um, build in the capacity to allow them to accomplish what they need to task wise while thinking that patient centeredness is also a task and, and perhaps um, just redesigning how we completely do the workflow of an inpatient unit or an outpatient unit to include that uh, interaction that, that's needed. Um, it's a really difficult problem though. It's a, it's a very um, multi-layered uh, problem to solve. There, there's so many things that cannot be planned that come across, the, across their table to, to address. And um, I, I would say though, uh, just the transparency of what's happening in the day with the patient can, can help. Um, an example, uh, I, I saw a, a patient completely change their approach to um, uh, abiding by the health, health the high risk uh, of falling um, bundle that we put in place at our hospital to ensure that um, someone who who's perhaps taking medication or who's um, confused won't uh, get out of bed without um, first calling for their nurse. And it's difficult for patients to understand, uh, especially if they feel that they're quite um, able to take care of themselves and they, they don't like being in the hospital. Um, they might attempt to, to do um, just what we ask them not to do, which is uh, to get out of bed without us. Uh, but having that conversation up front, uh, I think can help so that uh, a surprise won't interrupt the nurse's flow. So what does that look like? That looks like asking uh, the patient about, are you uh, aware why we have asked or have labeled you as a, um, as a high uh, fall risk? And, and really understanding what they say and moving with that to either clarify if they don't understand or, or, or fielding out their um, unwillingness to, to really see themselves in, in that um, situation. Because uh, we had a very successful escalation where a nurse was told by the patient, I don't need help. I know you guys think I'm a high uh, fall risk, but I just don't see myself as that. Well, a nurse was able to then bring in the physician and, and see if the physician conveying the same information could, could uh, persuade, and, and it worked. And it's not to say that a nurse can't have more persuasion at, and with other patients, but for this particular patient, it, it really meant something to have that physician say that it was important for them to really have that assistance. So I, maybe there's some, some, something that can be gleaned from that, Jarvis. I know it's a very complicated thing for us all to, to try to figure out, but it is needed. You're, you're, you're spot on with, uh, with that. Yeah, and you know, it, it just there there's a happy medium and there's somewhere between high quality patient care and the business part that is healthcare. So um, you know, I, I know that was not the easiest question, but I was, it's just, you know, connecting many of the dots between our connections here. Um but let's move out of that. Let's let's have a more productive conversation now. But um <clears throat> Evita, I would love for you to give our quality people uh, share with us one tip, tool, or tactic that you found works very well for building up those intimate connections within project teams that you've led, but uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? You know, as a quality professional, 
uh, my job is to assist clinical teams in problem solving. So it's important that um, I facilitate problem framing and root cause analysis before jumping to solutions. However, I've, I've often found um, that team members want to share their solutions first. So sometimes a project requires just do it actions, but other times it doesn't. But I do want to meet my team where they're at. So I let them share solutions up front. And then I use what they say is a solution and walk them backwards and ask, okay, if we're saying this is the solution, what are we saying the problem is? And how do we know it's a problem? And I think that has helped me uh, in a great way to ensure that we are appropriately scoping the project work um, and I, that I can also um, buy, have some buy-in from them, that I'm not just uh, disregarding where, their need, where they need to focus on at, at first, um, but to kind of coach them to use what they're saying the solution is to understand, you know, what is the, the core issue that, we're, that we need to address. Okay, so Evita, are you familiar with the case method? Oh, give me a little bit more details. Maybe I, I may. No, well, this is something I, I'm sure I, I got from someone else, but it stands for copy and steal everything. <laughs> so so that, that tactic that you just shared there, uh, essentially, right, reverse engineering, um, I'm c- totally stealing that because... Over it. <laughs> You know, we, a lot of times it's so easy to start projects where the team is already coming in with the solutions. And then I try to work them back like, okay, forget all your solution thoughts. Let's start mm-hmm. with defining the problem. Yeah. I love how you shared, you know, you let them have that solutioning moment and then you work them back and say, okay, so if that's the solution, what's the problem? I, I love that mindset. I, I've never, I never piece that together myself. So I am going to copy and steal that and use it in my own life. <laughs> And I hope some of our listeners can value from that as well, but I, I'm already sold. You got a winner. <laughs> Yay, good, good. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, I would love for you to share with us now, Evita, uh, maybe one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare quality professional. Um, but again, share with us, what was that moment? How did the idea strike you? And definitely share with us if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Okay. Uh, Throughout my studies at UAB, we, uh, we did many site visits. We would visit so many different uh, healthcare facilities across the state. Uh, and a theme started developing. All of the uh, leaders were placing a very high importance on data through IT and how they're improving outcomes. I noticed a lot of overlap in my administration classes and my MBA classes. So I decided to drop my MBA and I decided to pick up the Master's of Health Informatics degree instead. Um, and I have not regretted that decision. I have really have found that it's prepared me to better assist in QI efforts. So you know, health informatics, we're, we're talking about acquiring, storing, retrieving, uh, using healthcare information to enhance the delivery of care. And it's also about the user experience with those various interfaces. So in QI efforts, uh, you know, when we're looking at how um, uh, flow is occurring in our clinical operations, there's a lot of workflow um, and data collection processes with, with our electronic health records. And so being able to leverage the understanding of data fields in the EHR, uh, for example, 
labor and delivery currently at, at our hospital required informatic support. They wanted to uh, improve their induction of anesthesia to C-section cut time, um, but they were, they, it was just a hunch. They weren't really sure um, why they felt their scheduled C-section times were, were performing um, uh, poorly in comparison to their emergent. I mean, they had some great ideas as to why, but they wanted the ability to, to prove what they, the, what they were assuming was occurring. And so it, it required extracting the, the time data from the EHR and building them a report. So now they have that uh, transparency for their efficiency and, and moving forward, they have that, this nice little uh, tool that, can, um, that they, can, they can trust. Uh, I think we have to take it a step further and do a time study as well to show them that what the time study, what an observer was able to collect reflected exactly what the EHR collected for them. And so now they have that trust and confidence to use that data uh, moving forward. So I, I think you know, having that background in health informatics and really being comfortable with, with turning to it to help uh, shape project work has, has really been to my advantage. No, I love that. And if it's okay to share, I um, am happy to say that you are our first quality person on this show that has that background as, as an informatics um, professional. So oh, wow. um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And you know what I, what I love too is the connection with UAB. Um, you know, I think UAB to me personally is one of the best kept secrets in healthcare because they are just turning out leaders all over the place. Um, and, some pretty exceptional folks there. I've had, I guess, maybe three or four total UAB leaders that I've already interviewed for this podcast alone. So I think your, your, your fellowship of colleagues that you've connected with is just, you know, very impressive. Well, they're a hungry group of people to understand how they can uh, improve healthcare. It was a very, very positive experience for me to, to be at UAB. All right, wonderful, wonderful. I love it. And Avita, I, I would love to move you to the next question. And this is just a, it's a question that always gets me pretty excited to just know what others are thinking. But um, I, I would love for you to share um, your thoughts on current changes going on in the healthcare industry that you're excited about, but also give us your perspective on the role that quality people play to either promote or support its longevity. Okay. Uh, well, I am really excited about the continued application of health information technology to um, specifically to improve patients becoming partners in their care. And there's a really great example, um, ARC's Question Builder app. And it, it basically helps a, uh, a person to prepare for their next medical appointment. It provides guidance on how to exchange information, how to form their questions for their physicians. Um, so I think uh, when I hear about folks continuing to make mobile health apps and to really base it in um, evidence-based practices, I get excited. But there's also some really exciting um, commercial apps like MyFitnessPal that have a great um, healthcare application. So you know, this is an app that helps uh, manage the calories in and calories out. Um, by using a barcode. So if you eat something that has a barcode, you use the, uh, your phone to uh, input it into the app and it, it keeps track for you. So 
I, I imagine you, you can bring that with you to talk with your clinical dietitian uh, or a nutritionist and have a more rich experience in which to uh, base your, um, your care plan from. So I think a quality professional's role, I really hope that we can do with this um, trend, is be able to uh, use patient-reported data to improve uh, care. And I know we, we typically, we analyze uh, hospital-reported data against benchmarks, but I think it would be fascinating if in the future we could play a role in how we look at this self-reported data and, um, and connect uh, patients with um, their healthcare professionals a little bit better. No, I love that input. Um, I, I would have to venture and just hope that that's the future. Because um, <laughs> Lord knows, I, I wear, I'm not a jewelry person at all, but I wear my Fitbit religiously. Do you? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and like, even when I, when I have to take it off to charge it up, I just like sit there for a few minutes because I don't want to walk around and I don't want to miss my steps <laughs> or anything else. So, so if, if, if we don't figure out how to do something with this data, <laughs> You need to, right? There's, there's data there. It needs to be handled. It, it needs to. Absolutely. No, that's perfect response. And I would love to now maybe get your thoughts on what are things that the healthcare industry specifically can do to uh, become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start or grow their careers? And again, I, I'm really, I guess, interested in, in your perspective because you had such a varied career before you came into healthcare. So uh, I'm really, you know, just, just looking to kind of see what you think about that and how you see the future growth and projections and all of the above from a, a healthcare perspective. I think you can never go wrong with investing in people. You know, of having a really attractive package that involves training so that they've got to know that they're taking on a job where they're going to grow. And I think. Nigel Brown is just a whiz at this. Um, so he's someone you interviewed. We we mentioned him, I think, in our in our pre-show talk. But you know, he's the executive director of performance um, excellence at UAB Health System, and um, he had such a layered effect. Uh, his approach, rather, he had a layered approach to this. So our team members were responsible. Uh, on a regular basis to bring content and teach to one another. And he encouraged us to build um, class content for, for nurses, for administrators. Um, he encouraged us to go to, to meetings that had nothing to do with um, improvement, but had everything to do with being aware of the diverse conversations happening in the system. And then he supported us fully going to conferences, but coming back from those conferences and teaching what was learned. So I feel like because it happened so early on in my career, being uh, with Nigel and seeing that, I was really um, encouraged that I'm going to be able to continue to grow in a role like this. Uh, and I feel if, if folks, have that um, opportunity. They also feel valued. So you can't go wrong with making people feel valued. So I think if you continue to invest in people's growth and development, um, helping to train them to be exceptional at quality improvement, then you have an opportunity to really um, become attractive and continue to uh, bring in new folks. 
you know, you had the ability to uh, be mentored by a guy that has probably like corrupted your whole paradigm <laughs> of leadership and quality improvement. Um, you set the bar high. There's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get to, to be Nigel's level, but uh, he is incredible. It, yeah, one of my favorite folks, um, really a favorite folks, just leaders in life, not even just healthcare. Yeah. Um, great, great guy. It's a great way to describe them. Absolutely. All right, perfect. Well, Evita, I, I'm happy to share that you are doing a phenomenal job um, just responding to the questions so far. You're giving some really great responses, but now I'm going to move us into what I call the two-minute drills, kind of the rapid-fire Q&A, but I always love to just kind of do a quick pulse check and just make sure you're ready to rock and roll. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I hope I uh, can give answers in rapid fire. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Let's do it. But no, first question is, uh, is a bit of a two-parter. Um, I would love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Okay. Well, every month I get to present at our hospital's new employee orientation. And I feel that's um, a source of uh, inspiration for me. When I get to meet team members, when they're first filled with the most anticipation to start their um, organizational journey, I, I just like to bottle that, that zeal up and really just be reminded that um, it's an exciting time when you first join. And if there's a way to sustain that, you know, I think um, I'm sustained by being exposed to that group. Um, um, time over every month. So I, I really take that as an opportunity to, to fill my tank and be reminded about, um, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, and I also try to inspire others by um, constantly wanting to know more. So if I'm getting involved in a project with them, um, I really want them to understand that I want to, um, be not at a surface level. I want to truly roll up my sleeves and find out what it is that they're going through um, and, and be able to um, really be a partner through the entire improvement journey. So I pride myself on being a person that people can come to when, when they're, they're stuck. Um, so like the other day, I, I had a team member who said, uh, I, I really want to know what other people are, are saying about uh, improving um, uh, hospice, inpatient assignment. Um, what's, what's the best way to do that? And so um, we, we sat down together and, and looked at uh, PubMed and, and entering in some key terms and, and pulling up various articles and really trying to find a, a, a great article that then we can scour through and see references to other articles and really just expand from there. So I just enjoy being a team player, and I feel that when I do that, I can energize others. So that's my approach, really, to to inspire others I work with. All right, wonderful. I love both of those um, both of those reflections there. And next question is, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Mm, um, Captain Maki, my first platoon commander, taught me to lead by example. Um, and he did it in a very interesting way. So uh, 
training to become a Marine Corps officer, you, you go through six months in Quantico, Virginia, learning infantry tactics. And there's a two-week portion where you're doing nothing but going to the rifle range. And it's a very rigorous trek to get to the rifle range. It's like six miles that you're doing. You're carrying about 45 pounds. Um, you're shooting all day and it's exhausting. You, you come back and you're looking forward to just um, cleaning your weapon and hitting the rack. And so on one particular occasion, we were hiking back and Captain Maki, um, he always leads from the front of the platoon. He walked us right past our barracks and our hearts sank. <laughs> and he proceeded to bring us down, you know, a famous set of hills there called Washboard Trail. And it's up and down, up and down. And we just spent about a good 30 minutes doing more exercise with all our gear on before he brought us back to the barracks and we did a school circle around him. And um, he asked us, why do you think I did that? And we were silent, we, we wanted to hear it. He said, because one day when you're deployed, and you're ready to come home, you're going to be told that the mission has been extended. And the feeling you will have will be a million times worse than when you pass by that barracks. And how you handle that bad news will be critical for your Marines because they're watching. And distracted Marines are Marines that get killed. So for me, I think about you know that lesson in my bones because they literally were aching from that. It, and to be able to apply that in healthcare and to know that whenever I'm given an opportunity to take care of other team members, when we deal with stress and friction at work, how I handle myself in that moment is going to convey either, you know, we should be bummed out about it or we should uh, take it in stride and figure out how we can make, um, make things work still. And so I really find that that was such great advice to, to um, have and, uh, and, and continue to apply even, even here in healthcare. Now, that was a phenomenal story, but um, the lessons learned and the advice to take from that and apply now to your healthcare career path is amazing. And that entire story might be used as an official clip to highlight your show when we're ready because I loved every bit of it. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, Captain Mocky, he was an incredible, incredible teacher. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for uh, also giving him a shout out. Um, <laughs> but uh, next question I have for you, Vita, is uh, it, it's a bit of a tester. So it's a new question that I'm just throwing out and trying to see if, I, if I'll keep it or not. But um, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Last week, I had an opportunity to shadow the nurse educator. And so I might, I might trade roles with her. I think it was amazing to see just how much she learns about um, team member pain points. She brought up a, a new bed that we're going to be switching out and she was demonstrating the features. And uh, as she was demonstrating it, nurses were ooing and aahing over some of these uh, features. And it really just told me, wow, the current bed must, must really have a gap uh, in, in, in aiding them. And I can just only imagine just how accelerated my learning of problems would be if I were to spend some time in her shoes, a little more time in her shoes to see, um, what nurses are truly, um, you know, suffering and, uh, with, and what things we, we need to address. So I think if anything, 
being the nurse educator and really seeing um, from the frontline staff what what needs to be done would be incredible. Perfect. I love it. And could you please share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives? Hands down, going to the Gimba and seeing work um, without fail, I learned something that I would never learn if I just stayed behind the desk and analyzed the data. There is always something to, to be learned with pairing the data to going down boots on the ground and seeing um, the world that the team members are experiencing. Um, you know, for instance, we have a, a pharmacy turnaround project right now where we're trying to improve um, missing uh, meds. And it led me to observe that pneumatic tube system, you know, the, the tube system that uh, banks use, to, to the bank teller sends a canister over, you send something. So all those things um, uh, are used as well in healthcare with the pharmacy filling it with meds. And spending time not just with pharmacy and engineering and seeing, uh, or rather nursing, I spent time with engineering uh, and learned a lot about the functionality that um, our team members were not aware of just from spending more time in the Gimba. There's a lot to, to be had with, with making sure that's a, a, a consistent habit. Wonderful. Again, spot on. I, I'm a huge fan. Um, any project that I start brand new, the first thing we do is get out of the meeting room, get out of the boardroom and go to where the problems are. So um, huge fan of that advice. Thank you for, for bringing that back out. Sure thing. Um, Evita, what is your go-to website or mobile application that you that you lean on for executing on the work that you lead? I found myself in um, several situations where I'm doing time studies, and so I really, really appreciate the A Tracker app. So A Tracker app, it's a little blue icon uh, with a with a stopwatch. It makes my job more efficient. Uh, you know, oftentimes in the past, I would have to hand jam uh, times using a stopwatch and a piece of paper. But with this app, you can um, use the stopwatch functionality and it exports into Excel. And I can immediately go into analysis mode and provide um, uh, almost near real time feedback to uh, team members. So I encourage anyone that is faced with doing a time study to use that app. Wonderful. And I have never heard of that. So again, I will be like plugging into that as soon as we're off this call. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Thank you for that. And I would love if you could share with our quality people, uh, one professional society and one professional conference that you think will be a value at. Well, so I'm a, a year into being a quality professional. So I haven't quite found what society I, uh, I want to spend time in. I, I am looking at the National Association for Healthcare Quality, but I don't have any personal experience yet with them. I have found it tremendously helpful, though, to do meetups. So to go uh, on the mobile app meetups and find healthcare-related um, groups, uh, it's just a tremendous opportunity to uh, share uh, knowledge, expand my knowledge base uh, network as well. Um, so there's one in particular here in DC uh, about healthcare user experience that I've truly enjoyed. Um, and I, I can do reach back. I can go back and ask, hey, John, have you ever seen a problem like this? Or, and so it really is just a tremendous opportunity that I encourage others to do. Um, so not a society yet, but uh, still an opportunity to um, 
to really get in, involved in healthcare nonetheless. Well, and since you are still pretty early in your healthcare quality uh, work and career path, um, so I've personally been trying to learn more about NICU recently as well, and I am really, really, really impressed with what I'm seeing and learning from them so far. Um, so I would say that's a good one. And another one that I've been heavily involved in personally for a number of years is the Society for Health Systems. And that's one um, to get involved with. But if you're okay, maybe after the show, um, I have two colleagues up in the D.C. area who are doing a lot of work uh, within the high reliability space. I love to at least sh uh, share an email and get you all connected um, if you'd be okay with that too. Oh, um, yes, that would be wonderful. Yeah, just, just open up the network. And, you know, uh, here in Atlanta, I actually run a uh, meetup for healthcare. Well, it's really for quality improvement professionals, but I tend to draw a lot of healthcare leaders to it. But um, it's called a Lean Coffee, and it's the easiest type of meetup to run. And we do them every, maybe every four to six weeks, just depending on what I have going on. But um, again, your, your meetup idea, I think, is awesome, too. It's, it was a gap that I found, and I just started doing one here in Atlanta myself. I just love, Jarvis, that you're doing so many things to contribute to um, just bringing people together and talking about health care. Bravo, man. Just keep it up. I know. Thank you. Well, trust me, if you talk to my wife, she, she almost feels the opposite. She's like, Jarvis, you know, you're doing the most. Like, like I, need, yeah, I need you to relax. I need you to get some sleep every now and then. <laughs> no, thank you. But uh, no, next question I have for you is uh, if you could recommend a book to our quality people, um, what would it be and why would it be a good recommendation? There's a book that I love um, called The Four Types of Problems by Art Smalley. And I put a lot of mental rigor into problem framing. So this book advises on how to focus if your problem requires troubleshooting advice, solving a gap from standard versus you know getting targets, new targets established, or being completely innovative. And if I may, I'm just going to share that little analogy he uses to really convey just how um, valuable this book is. So if you can have a team understand whether they're dealing with a problem that requires troubleshooting, it would be the equivalent of saying, hey, we have a flat tire, let's change it, right? There's a total different set of tools that you would use for troubleshooting. Whereas that gap from standard would be when you find you're suddenly getting flat tires every week, you know, really looking at finding out why. So a whole other set of root cause analysis tools come into play. When we talk about that target state, that new target state, it's determining that you're sick of getting flat tires. And so you want to look for a better tire altogether. And then lastly, a problem that requires um, more open-ended problem solving and innovation, that's asking, why can't we make a tire that runs flat? So I love referencing this book and using it to guide the discussion about what problem are we looking at so that we can then really hone in on how we're going to approach solving it. So again, Evita, you are just this this bundle of all kinds of new knowledge for me personally. I've never heard of that book either. So um, yeah, that, that will be in my Amazon shopping cart in a few minutes. So thank okay, great. Yeah, it just came out last year. Not well, September-ish of last year. It's a great, it's a great book. All right. Awesome. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so 
Our last question, Evita, is a personal favorite because now I am going to ask you to reflect on your past while having you look forward to your future. But let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Hmm, I would, uh, 10 years in the past. Oh, this is such a fun question. I, <laughs> I think 10 years in the past where I was about to venture into, um, officer candidate school, uh, start my journey as a, as a Marine Corps officer. If I could be very specific, that's always my preference. I think it's great to have those, um, kind of, uh, bits of wisdom that are on posters or our bumper stickers, but I, I would try to text something very specific to what I learned I was going to go through. Um, and that's 10 weeks of very strenuous evaluation to becoming a Marine Corps officer. So I would tell myself in a text message, Evita, write down your favorite foods now. And you know, my recruiter told me, write yourself a letter as to why you want to become a Marine Corps officer so that you can pull it out and remind yourself when you have those, those dark moments. But I found like week three, I was missing all this food that I love. <laughs> and I had, I started a list uh, week three in about, you know, all the food that I miss. And it really helped me to think about the meals that I, you know, the people I was enjoying those meals with. And so I, I think what I'm trying to say is that, you know, going through something difficult and challenging, it's great to be reminded of the things that can uplift us. So if I could have learned that sooner, <laughs> I think that would always have, have been a good, good thing for me. Uh, in the future, gosh, you know, um, there's something I keep right now in my Bible. So I, I'm going to use that like, uh, you know, the little stickies that you write your name. Hello, my name is, and you put it on your shirt at a conference. My mom, when I was um, in, uh, in middle school, wrote on one of those stickies, I love you. And she put it in my lunchbox and I kept it. And I think just forwarding something like that maybe to my future and just being reminded that, you know, I have such a wonderful family and I, I want to always keep them in mind with the decisions that I make uh, in, in my career um, to keep them at the forefront. So I think, you know, just maybe something that has a message like that for my future self. No, wonderful. I, I love both of those messages. Um, you know, your your list about uh, the things that kind of hold us down and keep us grounded in those tough times, I think is a core message to take and hopefully uh, resonates again with many of our, our listeners to this program. But the simplicity of that second message and the, you know, the, the pulling it back to family and the things that are important in life. Um, again, I, I personally love those. Um, Evita, I love so much of the information that you shared today. Uh, again, I can't wait to get this show published for our audience, but um, I always have fun just listening to the shows again and just going through creating all the notes that I create. And so uh, a lot of great reflections. You did a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. But before I let you go, I would love to end today with you uh, giving our quality people a parting piece of advice, uh, sharing the best way that they can follow or connect with you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. Uh, just keep trucking. Just keep uh, working at the, at, at the job of healthcare quality. It is an admirable place to be. 
Um, so keep keep trucking. And um, LinkedIn is a great way to uh, connect with me. Uh, so please, if uh, you search my name, Evita Payton, I'd be happy to, to start a conversation and, and uh, maybe we can exchange ideas about how we can uh, help our, our teams out. All right. We're on a mission to change the world, right? Yes. Yes, very much. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, Vita, thank you so much again. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.